This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. Drink up. <laughs> welcome and welcome back to episode 7 of Microscope. My name is Mike, as usual, and I am also joined by a special guest, Kevin. Hello. So today we're going to talk about... Um, these really super interesting things called biological soil crust. But before we like really get into that, why don't we just start off with like, Kevin, hi, who are you? Can you tell us anything about yourself? Hi, Mike and everyone. Be happy to. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Uh, this will be fun little talk. So me, myself, um, my name's And Kevin. I. Yeah, I. <laughs> I'm Kevin. I am a graduate student at Arizona State University in the Molecular Cellular Biology PhD program. Um, I am in a lab that focuses on, as Mike alluded to, a very interesting community of microorganisms known as biological soil crust. Um, so in terms of that, as a well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. So, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal life? Because, you know, we've had a graduate student on here before, and she told us a little bit about what she does outside of lab. But, like, what do you do outside of lab? Yeah, so outside of lab in the few times that that occurs. Oh, few. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so few. <laughs> definitely have, I'd say, three main things I like to spend my time doing. Um, that being, I love working on my car. I've always been into cars. I love doing that. People don't generally want to talk about that, though. Uh, definitely hiking and going <laughs> out um, places. I remember you were saying you've been trying to get out, especially around the area here in Arizona. Absolute paradise for anyone who likes um, getting out, going hiking, doing backpacking trips, um, anything outdoor nature. Definitely really try to do. Um, but again, the lab, you know, precludes that from time to time. Or unfortunately, time unfortunately. And then um, the biggest thing I try to do as often as I can is I'm a musician as well. I play guitar and drums. I'm also really into um, digital music production, like electronic music. So super into synthesizers and drum machines. And I try to play around with that stuff that's so interesting i don't think i knew that about you i yeah we, yeah it might not have come up because no we only talk about lab and we're only in the oh lab it's so bad it's, it's so really bad. really like that we just want to illustrate that speaking of i actually made a new friend outside of lab what is that? does it doesn't even go to school right now he has like a real person's job Shit. oh i'm like <laughs> Half their conversations are like, so what do you talk about? Like, <laughs> what, what do you mean you can't talk about like science all the time? But okay, that's interesting. Wait, so do you have like a really nice car? Well, okay, wait. absolutely not. That's <laughs> another thing. Anyone looking at grad school that will absolutely prevent you from having a nice car. No, I have a very, um, very old busted car that i like to fix up and tweak out <laughs> fix up an old broken car it sounds like so much fun See, no, that's not... why we don't <laughs> i know what circles to have those conversations with so you said um that you're you enjoy 
um, making electronic music. Yeah. So, okay, I am actually a pretty big fan of dubstep myself. Or is that, like, out of your realm of... That's quite, quite literally what got me into the whole thing. Right, right. I can't say that anything I've made recently in, like, the past two or three years would resemble that in in any you know obvious way but absolutely absolutely you can hear the um influences of that especially in like the syncopated hi-hats and the very intense syncopated hi-hat yeah. oh new word everybody uh, new sorry, word for you all syncopated hi-hat you've heard it if you haven't heard the word you've heard the thing itself it's in all the music today literally jeez, oh, i am sweating ridiculously it's because Are it's you? about to rain and it's like 30 times more humid than we ever experienced. Yeah, God, this oh, is like God. the northeast weather. We were just yeah. sitting there sweating. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, the Arizona weather, that dry heat thing that everybody talks about, is definitely a thing. Okay, so let's move yeah. on. So, you know, you, you moved out here to Arizona, um, but where are you from? Oh, or you don't have to tell us. Oh, no. I'm, I'm ready. Uh, so it kind of puts <laughs> everything in context. Um so originally, I am from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I grew up there, yeah, my whole life up till I went to undergraduates at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. So for um, Wait, Southern Illinois University, yeah, SLU, SIU, yeah, oh SIU, <laughs> yeah, okay. there's no L. Sweet. I don't know. <laughs> I think I thought it was Louisiana for some reason. Oh, <laughs> not quite that far south. So just go south uh, six hours from Chicago and you're there. So you wouldn't be able to tell between just a picture of there and a picture of Louisiana. Quite They quickly. both look the same. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And mugginess and all that. So this is, you know, feels like right back there. It's, yeah. Which it never feels like here. <clears throat> yeah, it's actually really surprising. Like we're sitting here, you know, in my living room. It's about... 60 degrees. I made that up. But it's about <laughs> 60 degrees, but like, we are just sweating. Okay. So, all right. Good. We know a little bit about you, but why did you get into science? So you said you're in the molecular and cellular biology track, mm-hmm. but why, I guess, what made you decide to go that route? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, how much time can we allocate to this? I think I have we like- We could do like an hour. We have like no. two minute or <laughs> 10 minute versions of this story. Okay. Can we do like a five-minute five minute version? Five minute. Yeah, okay, essentially. Yeah. So as I said, working on cars was always a big passion of mine. But I think it was like senior year of high school, I put it together that they're literally fucking everything up. And I'm like, oh, that changes things. I should Wait, probably, who's fucking everything up? Uh, internal combustion engine co2 emissions oh cars in general yeah, are like yeah. oh wait do you know this podcast is about climate change yeah trying <laughs> <laughs> to weave it in there best we could here yeah so it probably started with that and then um maybe the next couple years in community college um i actually discovered the works of carl sagan and that was really a defining moment in my life because I realized um, <laughs> um, the Christian upbringing my parents had put me through wasn't uh, necessarily an accurate representation of the world. And now I was open to this <laughs> new representation. That's so funny you say that. And it kind of <laughs> just rolled out of control from there. I started out um, at SIU as a science education major, so looking to be a high school teacher. And then I got into around the time I got into the student teaching portion of that and realized um, 
how how terrible the administrative um <laughs> you know niceties of being a public school teacher can be yeah um was about the same we're time. we're over here snapping yeah. our fingers <laughs> honey we know we know <laughs> And about that same time, a graduate student came and talked to our physics class. And he was like, did you know you get a stipend for being a graduate student? I'm like, oh, you can like have a job out of college like this? (laughs) So then uh, when I realized graduate school was a real option, that's when I uh, switched to microbiology for the last two years of my undergrad. And then at that point, Basically, all I knew from microbiology is that I wanted to work with cyanobacteria in my graduate career. That's and interesting. We... Cyanobacteria? Yeah. Okay. So, and then that's how I found the lab I am currently in. And we could go into a little ditty about... Yeah, let's let's move on to that. But I just want to um, sort of inform all of our listeners about what a cyanobacteria is. So... They're actually very closely related to what we talked about with Bianca uh, two episodes ago, where they are organisms. They're essentially bacteria that eat like plants. So they absorb sunlight, and that's where they get their energy from. They're just bacteria and not, you know, nice, beautiful plants that we have that clean our air. Oh, they're beautiful. Take a look under the microscope. Oh, maybe we'll post some to the Instagram. Yeah, we certainly can. Yeah, so actually the the organisms Bianca was talking about, those are also cyanobacteria. Those are cyanobacteria. Okay, okay, yeah. So it's a very large group. You see them in the ocean. You see them on the land. And that's what what our lab studies. It's... um, yeah, it's funny you actually say that because before, you know, um, I do what I do now where I study the Amazon jungle, but I actually worked on sulfitic caves in Italy. So we're talking like middle of the, you know, pitch black, never get sunlight, but we freaking found cyanobacteria in there, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, well, why the hell are they here? It's probably contamination if we're being totally honest. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's an interesting thing. Some folks um, in my lab, not necessarily in the... Uh, biological soil crust project, but there are species of cyanobacteria that live inside rocks. They can actually really? bore into the, the the minerals in the rocks. And because light will penetrate like one or two millimeters, that's enough for them to be completely to be... embedded in there, still receiving minute amounts of cert- only certain um, types of sunlight and be able to survive survive so maybe the ones in the cave are were actually just like very surviving and thriving yeah interesting they can also just eat like you and i can you know eating normal um the nutrients like carbohydrates and things produced uh, by that are that are just there from um other members of the community so in something like that i I couldn't quite tell you about cave walls though yeah i can't either no (laughs) (laughs) I only got my master's degree in it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So awesome. Let's move on to well. Okay. We know that you work with cyanobacteria and essentially how you got there. Which honestly, thank you very much for going through all that because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that the path to get into science or like literally the path to get into anything, even though like the end tract is the same, is different for every single person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. It's interesting to appreciate how people get to where they are because they do think differently when they're at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, we don't have to get into that. That's like another conversation. But, okay. We should, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do it in another episode. We'll invite you back and we could talk about that. So, 
why don't you tell us what you study about cyanobacteria? All right. So um, being out in the desert here, naturally, we study the cyanobacteria that are endemic to the uh, desert ecosystems. And the um, form of the community or the group of microorganisms which they, they coexist with out in the desert is an assemblage we call biological soil crust. So if you go out into like a pristine, untouched region somewhere um, in, the, in the Phoenix Metro Valley area, there's not too much untouched around here, but go a little bit out of town uh, to somewhere where there really hasn't been development. Like heading south years. towards Tucson? Heading when south you get back Tucson. down there, that yeah, is Yeah, once you're past south, south Mountain there, yeah. um, coming up to, what's the uh, state park? Picacho Peak? I can't remember. Piestawa? Yeah, that one that's like midway. There's a step on the P, it's midway between <laughs> Tucson and Phoenix. Like in between here and there, probably great place uh, to see untouched biological soil crust. And the way... Um, it'll look uh, when you see it just out there in the desert is you'll see the kind of like maybe a tinge of red, reddish, uh, tannish um, soil itself. But then you'll see on top of it just a black layer of there's really no other way to describe it, just crustiness um, because it's very hard. It's very dry. But in fact, this is a living um, layer of microorganisms. The black um, stuff or the red right. stuff. The black stuff. Sorry, the black, black crust stuff. on top. That's just huh. to differentiate between what bare soil looks like and what soil has okay. been colonized okay. uh, with biological soil crust would kind of manifest as. Awesome. So, okay, if I'm walking around in the desert and I just see like this black sandy area, you're telling me that that's like a living group of bacteria. Absolutely, yeah. Huh. Well, then like – are they important or are they just like black blotches around the <laughs> desert? I don't even know. You wouldn't even believe given their humble, you know, exterior that they are <laughs> actually really central, <laughs> central to the desert ecosystem. Um, first of all, I'm not sure um, our background here probably talked about, you know, basic um, ideas in ecology of a primary producer. So you learn about plants, right? They photosynthesize, um, take in sunlight, produce uh, nutrients, and then that um, uh, perpetuates throughout the ecosystem. Biological soil crusts actually play that role in a desert ecosystem because, as Mike said before, cyanobacteria um, get their energy exactly the same way as plants do by absorbing sunlight, producing these nutrients. Those are then used by other microorganisms that are also part of this biological soil crust community. And as those, um, those uh, bacterial scale interactions are taking place, um, as the cyanobacteria in the crust grow, they actually grow into filaments, which kind of crisscross like a tapestry. Ooh. And they will actually hold down the soil particles. Um, so, you know, around Phoenix here, when it rains, we have those really bad dust storms. Um, a lot of that, um, at least theoretically now, there's more and more data uh, to support it, um, that a lot of that um, loosening of the dust, freeing of the uh, soil particles has been from actual development and construction that because has disturbed these biological the... soil crusts. Interesting. So, yeah. That's interesting. Also, I just have to chime in with 
those dust storms that you were talking about are actually known as haboobs. And yes, that's what they're called. Yes, it's amazing. Funny story about that. When I moved here to Arizona, I wasn't even here for like 48 hours. Wasn't even 48 <laughs> hours. I like go to a subway or something to get a sandwich because I didn't trust the kitchen. I was like living in at the moment. And like, you know, I was just like ordering my sandwich and everybody looks outside. Wall of dust. Yeah. Wall. They were all just like, oh, it's a boob. We all just have to like relax. I was like, what do you guys mean? It's like, you can't see anywhere. Like, yeah. this is dangerous. I decided to go drive through it because I was like, oh, I'm a New Yorker. I could deal with anything. <laughs> that was stupid. For yeah. the record, anybody who comes out here to Arizona or a desert and there's a haboob going on, don't go on the road. Yeah. It's like dumb. It's the number one thing they say. They added a little uh, page on it in our new student orientation when you first get here. Did like, they you see a dust storm? <laughs> yeah, you didn't go that far in the folder, did you? <laughs> see Too a dust storm, pull over, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so the BioCrust really, we call it BioCrust for short to be cool. It really oh, helps cement crust. the uh, BCs. The, yeah. <laughs> really helps cement those um, soil particles to prevent that. And then that's the other um, prong of our lab that has really been um, getting, getting rolling over the past four or five years, as far as I understand, is that we want to see now that we know these biological soil crusts have been disturbed. Can we now learn about their community structure in the lab? What microorganisms live in them? How do they live? Are there different ones in the desert down here than are in up in Utah? Um, oh, there's some up in Utah? Biological soil crust occur everywhere on Earth. Where it's Like regardless if it's a desert? Oh, it needs to be in a desert. Yeah, it's so dry. it's okay, generally okay. where there is not enough um, annual rainfall or moisture content in general. Um, to support regular plant life, like even okay, at the okay. basis of like moss, lichens, um, kind of things, like very small plant life. Even okay. Once you get below where that's sustainable, you'll find uh, biological. What is crust. that threshold? Is it like, I mean, so maybe I don't know, but is it like 30 inches a year? I do not have an exact number. Off that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't even know how you would measure that. Yeah. Uh, but no, it is very prevalent. So in the United States, in the drier areas, right? So all throughout Arizona, Nevada, Utah. Awesome. Awesome. So we, you told us that biological soil crusts are just like these black blotches that you can find out in the desert. But do they have any other distinctive features? Like are they squares? Are they triangles? Are they lines? Are they oblong i don't know <laughs> yeah when you when you go out there to a spot that's very pristine has really not been touched it's just expansive you'll see it as far as the eye can see they don't really, really um grow in any like kind of patterns per se um perhaps in a situation where maybe by a water source of some sort i, I couldn't tell you um off the top of my head like that but to really see the intricacy and like coolness of it you really need to get down on your hands and knees and try to look at it laterally because you'll actually see layers um within uh from like the underlying soil into the crust itself and that's a really that striation almost looks like uh sedimentary rocks like if you go to the grand canyon and you see the layers there but um, it's like Dirt, life, dirt, life. Yeah, more or less that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, the other big um, defining feature as far as 
having unique abilities and being um, a potential um, biotechnology um, application is that some of the members of the biological soil crust community, those microbes, um, some of them produce their own sunscreen compounds. Really? To protect them, yeah, from the sun. So that protects um, the entire community. So not just the ones that are producing the sunscreen um, themselves, they will secrete it out of their cell. They'll push it, make it inside the cell and bring it to the outside. And then all of the other bacteria that are around it will then benefit uh, from that protection from UV radiation. Um, and so given that there is this natural sunscreen compound being produced in there, um, that's actually my PhD project or how it started. Um, <laughs> we're trying to figure out what the chemical synthesis pathway of that sunscreen um it's called cytonamin not super important vocabulary cytonamin new word cytonamin we should just have like a, a web page and just a vote yeah yeah a glossary of the vocab that yeah. we learn yeah so that's another interesting um distinctive feature um that they have that you really don't find um in too many other kind of systems yeah i think microbial communities are so interesting to me because they are each like each cell is its own individual being, right? Like us, each cell is part of one larger organism, but in these microbial communities, they're all their own distinct thing, but they act very multicellular, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, you're telling me about the biological soil crust and like, it's like they have their own melanocytes, their sunscreen producing oh, cells, that's and that's what yeah, they do. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I, the evolution of, microbial communities to multicellularity is so interesting to me and yeah. like ah i love it yeah would you like to do another phd i <laughs> would like one? to hopefully that like another phd <laughs> that sounds like another whole lab that sounds like, <laughs> like a, another research center that sounds like uh questions. what is it oh that sounds like something i'll do if i ever graduate oh yeah right <laughs> maybe that will be my my career path yeah. um okay so Wait, you were talking about how the biological soil crusts like just expand. So you're talking about there's just massive expanses of black sand in the desert? Yeah, so at that point you're not the sand is underneath the layer of crust, but So then it's just like a a, a black crust that's on it. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I can't wait for you to show me a picture of so this. So generally it's black, but if you catch it at the right time, it could right, be green. right after it rains, yeah, they turn green again. So I'm trying to think of an example. I don't have any house plants, but I think they do this. I have thousands. Let if me, they, let me if confirm. You, if you slack off for a little bit and forget to water them, they'll start to wilt and brown a little bit. Yep. Take that to its logical extreme where they're completely solid and um, stationary. Dead. But at BioCrust, when they get to that point, they can still come back if they get uh, plants die. Plants yeah, die. plants Actually, just die. <laughs> speaking of, you see this guy right here. Yeah. So there's a plant on the table yeah. where we're recording. This thing two days ago was like all droopy. Like, yeah. Let me see if there's a little yellow that it suffered from. No, maybe not. Oh shit! This thing came back came real back, well. Yeah. yeah, but no, this thing was like dead. I watered it, and then look at it now. It's Perfect. beautiful. Yep. It's happy. It's like yes. those cyanobacteria after it rains it's exactly and it's actually the same molecule that is green chlorophyll in both of them 
Wait, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same basic parts. Basic. Okay, because isn't there yeah. like a chlorophyll like A, B, C yes, to Z? Yes, So chlorophyll okay. A is the green one you're seeing in in your green plants of all kinds, but also in cyanobacteria. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And so just for all of our listeners, um, chlorophyll is basically the molecule that captures the light. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Oh, that's look at me. Good, I know that's something. That's a very good, straightforward, <laughs> one-sentence explanation. That's it. Um, all right. So I feel like I've asked you a bunch of questions. Um, but I feel like there's – biological soil crust can go in like multiple different ways, right? Like I mean you could think about it in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Is Are there any questions that some someone else has asked you? Because I know you do a lot of – um, outreach, mm-hmm. um, which is actually the main reason why I was just like, oh, God, we have to have yeah. Kevin on here. So he loves talking to people that aren't scientists. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, what is, like, the most difficult question you've ever gotten? And we're still able to answer. Ooh, ooh, okay. I have one, <laughs> but I definitely wasn't able to answer it. This man's question was so – it was so personal and well thought out. It just demonstrated just a very scientific approach to thinking. But I, I have no idea what this guy did, but um, it was at the March for Science last year. In D.C.? No, no, no. The one here. There was a oh, little, little okay. thing here. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he came up and asked because I had some biological soil crust samples there. Um, oh, so you disturbed it. <laughs> <laughs> a colleague of mine took it very oh, gently okay, okay. on a Petri dish. Yeah, we got the whole so this man asked me because he was looking at the biological soil crust samples um, I had out at this um, at this little table we were out there, and he asked me, "That's interesting. I see in my yard I have two Palo Verde trees, and one of them, the soil around it, kind of looks like this. It kind of has this crusty black um, uh, character to it." And then the other tree in the yard doesn't have anything like that. Uh, it's ju- it just looks like um, sand around the base. And the one that does have what looks like bio crust around it will green up a lot later in the season, or it will recover um, from drought um, not as quickly, or I might be getting this totally backwards. It might have been the other tree. Um, and really, I had no idea what to tell him. <laughs> that was a really interesting scientific question. He had identified a single variable that was different between these two more or less identical conditions, uh, which he just had in his backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a really, that really struck me as being, it's not always so cut and dry in our real life um, to be able to ask a very um, directed scientific question where he really had a a hypothesis basically was, does this biocrust have an effect on the growth or the resilience of these trees in my yard. So that was probably the coolest thing I've been asked about biological soil crust. We hit most of the others of people like, oh yeah, I'm out hiking. I see that all the time. I always kind of wondered um, what it was. And then, Should I go step on it, right? Yeah, Is that, that's, <laughs> that a that's question? the conversation we have next. Um, so thinking about the, the biological soil crust and the trees, from like what I know about how bacteria help promote growth of plants, I'd have a feeling that the tree with the biological soil crust has richer soil because of all those bacteria just mm-hmm. leaching out all that crap 
or their stuff, the nutrients, the good stuff, Absolutely. not the crap. Yeah. Well, their crap. Yeah, which is good for us. <laughs> Very good for us. We would be nowhere without their crap. So yeah, I think that would be, that would make sense. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There are, um, so some bacteria can do something called nitrogen fixation. So if you, you're um, into planting or farming or gardening, <laughs> that's what they call it. Um, <laughs> that was our calling it these yeah, days. You'll look in the ingredients list on your fertilizers and you'll see nitrogen containing, containing compounds like um, ammonium nitrate is one of them. So the reason you have to supplement that for your plants is because even though the Earth's atmosphere is overwhelmingly composed of nitrogen gas. Isn't it 70%? I think uh, it might be more. very large majority. Yeah, like 80% yeah, or something. I, I don't like know yeah, off the yeah, top yeah, of my head. Yeah. Um, but cyanobacteria or certain species of cyanobacteria can actually pull that nitrogen out of the Earth's atmosphere and fix it to um, – a biologically a, usable a, source. Precisely, yeah. yeah. So that would be an example of the biocrust seeding the soil or the um, ecosystem around it. For the nutrients. Palo Verde. Yeah. And also for anyone who has not seen a Palo Verde tree, they are the most beautiful things I've seen. Yeah, so. They're basically just like a tree with like yellow leaves and flowers and the trunk is green. Like it's like a weird it's looking weird, tree. Yeah. It looks like it belongs in like a fairy garden or something. Okay. Uh, so moving on, right? We know that destroying these biological soil crusts make these haboobs worse, mm -hmm. right? So I guess like what should we do if we see them while we're out hiking or things like that? Like especially I've noticed a lot of my friends are venturing out into Utah lately. So like yeah. for those of you listening, this is what you should do when you visit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Get out there. Go hiking, but as Wear anyone sunscreen. will tell you, just stay on the trail. That's really all there is oh, to it. Um, so the trails have been, you know, generally they're kept by um, some kind of park services, whatever municipal level uh, you're looking at. Um, and outside of that, that's totally fair game for biological soil crust um, to be growing, especially when you're out in the hotter, drier regions of Arizona and Utah. And the thing about biological soil crust, even though they're, they're very good at surviving in their environment, given the pressures they're generally under, they are very vulnerable to compressional forces. So being stepped on, being driven over with an ATV is a huge uh, problem up in, up in Utah, where off-roading is there a very popular um, pastime. Um, and that's really what begins the degradation of the biological soil crust community is if it gets crushed, you're breaking those filaments because everything's so dry, it's not flexible, it will just um, break things Smash. up. And then, yeah, from there, it can just get blown away. And then you have exposed topsoil, losing topsoil, of course, leads to haboobs. Um, absolutely not good for agricultural purposes, though these are generally mutually exclusive where crust is and where agriculture is happening. Agriculture being another um, big detriment to biological soil crust. Interesting. Kind of ecosystems. Interesting. Ah, it's actually really funny because I was listening to you, but then you also said the word haboob again. Mm -hmm. So I think we should do a tally of yeah. how many times we said the word haboob in this episode. Bet she was 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the comments, go ahead. Put your guess. 
Which you get prizes. If we don't have prizes, you get a signed piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's about all we can afford. Right. So awesome. You know what? Thank you so much, Kevin, for like coming here and joining us and talking about biological soil crust because I think it's something that not a lot of people know about, right? Like, if I was out walking in the desert and I just saw a bunch of black stuff, I'd be like, it. It's dirty soil. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think twice about it, especially me who has the problem of like, you know, trying to bring down the patriarchy and always go off yeah, the sorry. trails. <laughs> and, you know, like now I know don't like yeah, keep your shit together, yeah. Mike. Yeah. God. Okay. <laughs> so like in a literal sense. Yeah. In like a, sense. <laughs> <laughs> go off the trail in your, uh, your life. So at the end of every episode, we like to sort of close with something our viewers at home can do. And while most of our viewers are, I don't actually don't know the demographics or like exact percentages, but whoever comes out to visit Utah and or Arizona or, you know, any of these places where biological soil crusts are very common, you know, please don't go and step on it. But for those that are, you know, going out and hiking in all these other areas, the one thing that like I can give you as advice is don't feed the animals. So I don't know if you follow us on Instagram, you should, but I posted the other day about me feeding this adorable little squirrel, like a flaxseed chip. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, this is amazing. Here? Yeah, here. No, no, no. I was uh, over on Piestawa Peak. I was like standing there eating my cracker, and this like squirrel like walks up to me and was just like, "Yeah, I want." Oh it. yeah, no. He didn't eat it. He didn't oh, eat okay. it. So like, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but so for everyone at home, don't feed the animals, because there's a big thing about the human microbiome and how it can affect our health. Well, other animals have microbiomes, and by feeding them human food like Doritos or flax seeds or things like that, you could really injure them. And like, yeah, so definitely going along with not feeding the animals, the down the road consequences of that, that you can have is they get so used to um, being able to obtain human food quite easily that they will kind of pass that down. As far as I understand to their offspring, And then what that ends up doing is putting these animals under completely different pressures to survive than their ancestors had been used to um, in the wild. And then what happens when all humans are gone, which doesn't seem too far off from this point. (laughs) What are they going to do then? So think about the animals. Don't feed the squirrels. We we need to protect the animals. You know, that's really interesting because – as as we select for squirrels that well okay maybe not all squirrels in general like yeah. any animal like as we select for them getting their source of food from us like they need us and then if anything happens to us they're screwed exactly wow okay interesting just when you all thought you were going to get away with an episode without Samantha, you were wrong. I'm just kidding. Guys, fantastic job. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. It was no, such a delight you. to have you. Oh. Will you be returning? Love to. Anytime. I live oh. right by Mike. <laughs> <laughs> he knows where I live, everyone. 
We would be so tickled if you would return. So once again, from Microscope, my name is Samantha. My name is Mike. I'm Kevin. And you just listen to Microscope. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Microscope, presented by Whatever You Say Productions. Learn more at microscopepodcast.com. That's M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.